Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Earlier this week, Channel 10 screened a documentary about the true story of Lindy Chamberlain. After 40 years, Lindy Chamberlain and her family tell their story. There was no one around to ask, and I saw Aidan standing behind the tent. While it broke down how Lindy was let down by the Northern Territory Police, forensic scientists, the Northern Territory Government and the people of Australia, it also highlighted how she was set up for us to hate her. Today, we look at how women are treated by the media when they're close to a crime and how they've been made out to be the devil when, in fact, they've been the victim all along. The documentary that aired this week on Lindy Chamberlain and her true story was quite an eye-opener. It explained how after the first inquest found that a dingo did indeed take Lindy and Michael Chamberlain's baby daughter Azaria from their campsite at Uluru back in 1980, The judge's findings that were critical of the Northern Territory Police accusing the government of failing to act on warnings from rangers that dingoes were a cause for concern and that their forensic methods were inadequate set off a series of events that would see the Chamberlains face years of court battles and, for Lindy, years in jail. The Northern Territory Police and government, shamed at a time when they were pushing for statehood, sprung into action, determined to prove that Lindy Chamberlain killed her daughter. They created a story and found experts that would back that up, not allowing the eyewitnesses to tell their full stories, bringing in experts who'd never set eyes on a dingo before in their lives, let alone being able to confidently say that the cuts in Azaria's clothing weren't made by the animal. One expert, found by the human dentist, whose testimony in the first inquest led to laughter in the court as he explained hanging a replica of Azaria over a dingo skull overnight to see if the teeth could actually penetrate the material. Forensics experts who found blood in the Chamberlain's car never apologised for their mistakes, despite it later on being found to be a substance sprayed onto cars on the production line. Nor did they apologise for identifying hairs found in Azaria's tent as belonging to a cat, when in fact it was dog hair. They ignored witnesses who said they too had had first-hand experience with dingoes attacking their children in the same place, or the experts who explained that in 1980, the Red Centre was experiencing a drought, which left the dingoes starving and desperate, making them bolder in coming into contact with humans in their search for food. Pages in logbooks identifying some of those witnesses mysteriously went missing. Witnesses say those investigating told them things like, we're going to get her, we're going to break her, and we're going to get that bitch. But on top of dealing with authorities stacking the deck against her, Lindy was also up against a much more powerful machine, the media. But it was a very much more sexist time then. We're talking 40 years ago. There weren't very many women journalists even then. If they were, they were in subordinate roles. There weren't very many women politicians. And so Lindy was there for fair game, simply on account of her gender, simply because she was a woman. 
she was obviously uh, the black-hearted witch, the fiend, the bitch, uh, and could be treated as such. I think Lindy had to carry a special burden because she was a woman. That's Mike Carlton, who reported on the case at the time. Lindy and Michael weren't allowed to grieve the loss of Azaria with cameras in their face every day, having people weigh in on their lives from a snapshot created for them by newspapers, radio, magazines and television. The day the trial started and I saw at least 15 or 20 people, all women, wearing T-shirts saying the dingo is innocent and holding up signs and spitting at her as she came into the trial. I'd never seen that before. Lindy says on top of the people abusing her as she arrived at court, she also had to run the media gauntlet, making sure that when those cameras were on her, she controlled every emotion. I got hit several occasions in the face with the big camera and then you've got to keep smiling and pretend it didn't happen. She was front page news day after day, her face revealing nothing of what was going on behind it. Well, that's what we thought. The documentary revealing that those pictures of Lindy were very carefully selected by editors back in newsrooms. Every time there was a news report, there was a picture. And it was basically always the same picture. Lindy looking very angry outside a court or something like that. You know, that becomes like Pavlov's dog after a while. Oh, look at the way she looks. Look how she dresses. Look at that. She was accused time and time again of not showing enough emotion for a grieving mother, that an innocent woman wouldn't have been able to get through an interview where she was literally asked to explain how a dingo could have eaten her child out of its clothing without destroying the outfit. But then her legal team explained how those who did that interview got that footage. It began with the journalist saying, Mrs Chamberlain, what happened to your baby? And she began to answer and choked up in distress and burst into tears. I said, take one, take two, start again. Mrs Chamberlain, what happened to your baby? She got a little bit further and choked up again. And they said, look, Lindy, if you're going to have, if you're going to get your message out there, you really are going to have to control yourself. Now, try again, get your emotions under control and try to answer our questions. And so they persevered. What actually went to air was take seven. And Lindy isn't the only woman to find herself defending her seeming lack of emotion. Kate McCann, the mother of missing girl Madeline McCann, is accused of not responding in a way that a mother of a missing child should. Joanne Lees, the girlfriend of missing British backpacker Peter Falconio, is also accused of being too cool when facing the cameras. Patricia Eastake is an emeritus professor and principal consultant at Legal Lightbulbs. Patricia, how is a woman supposed to act in this situation where she won't be seen as guilty simply because she hasn't shown enough emotion? Well, I think that it's not so much a sign of guilt as a sign of suspicion to the viewer. The woman, by not showing emotion in that situation, a situation where her child has vanished or is dead, is not conforming to the gender stereotype that we have for normal, good woman behavior or being. Interesting that we don't seem to have a male stereotype showing appropriate emotion or not, because a good dad 
has a broader latitude of behaviors and feelings than the mother. The good mother shows emotion. So by not showing emotion, she's the bad mother. And a bad mother could have done the deed. Friends of Lindy's, the people she calls her second family, those who were there that day at Uluru, paint a very different picture of how Lindy was dealing with things at the time. In the trial, she seemed to be okay, but I did see her coming and going to the courthouse. I can remember people at work saying she's guilty because she never cried. I said, the papers don't take photos of her when she's crying and the television doesn't, don't take photos, but she did cry. And I said she cried every day I saw her. Has the media portrayal of women changed with the amount of women working in the media? I've looked in the last 20 years at how women are portrayed by the media. And no, I don't see much of a difference over time. But then I'm one of these people who doesn't see getting more women in an occupation as being the answer to systemic discrimination and all the rest of it. You only have to look at law firms to see that because we have more and more women, but we have persistence in discrimination and harassment. So yeah, I'd I'd like to be optimistic. So let's go with it's changing a bit, (laughs) just incrementally. One of those women in the media at the time was Geraldine Doog, who covered the story for the ABC. She says she didn't realise she'd bought into the narrative around Lindy until something shook her out of it. It took quite a long time to really grasp how distorted the coverage was and how egregious it was. And I remember a moment when um, I was reporting and uh, I think it was to do with the finding of the, uh, the, the man who said the blood spatter was actually consistent with panel beating and a spray that came from panel beating, not a blood spray. And I remember sitting there thinking, just having a moment when I, I can still remember this moment when I thought, my God, what if they're telling the truth? Even journalists like Jim Brown, who were trying to write these stories without the sensational stories being leaked to them by the authorities or commentary about her appearance, found themselves up against it. I had uh, a police officer walk up to me during the trial uh, and he'd seen some of my reports, I don't know how, but he said, we're not happy with the way you're reporting this, you're making it sound like she's innocent. And I started arguing with him about how dare you challenge me and he pulled out his gun. That's the sort of town it was. A lot was being said about how Lindy looked, that a grieving mother shouldn't be sexy or wear clothes that, in their opinion, were too much like an outfit you would wear out to dinner. And they were commenting on my outfits. And I said, oh, come on, guys, get over it. No, well, you've got something new on every day. And I said, well, so? Oh, well, it's news. And I said, why is it news? Does it matter in these instances if that woman is more or less feminine or more or less attractive? Because I know some of the journalists talking in the Lindy Chamberlain story said that they were quite enamoured by her, that she was quite glamorous and that she would dress like she was going for a night out on her days in court. Does the narrative around them change depending on whether they're considered more attractive or not? Does that matter? We have to look at it like a continuum, the good woman at one end of the continuum and 
the bad, evil, aberrant female at the other end. It's the old Madonna whore continuum. So old. I don't think it's really that old, unfortunately. I mean, it's been around for a long, long time. If she's sexy, she becomes sexualized by the media and she shifts on that continuum to the whorish end of the continuum, away from the pure mother Madonna. Lindy explained how the guards at the prison would refuse interviews on her behalf, but that they were scared of one journalist in particular who managed to get through the gates. I let Ida Buttrose in and they were scared to say no to her, which often they'd say I'd said no and the prison would have said no. Ida says, though, after her interaction with the inmate, there was only one question on people's minds. The only thing people wanted to know when I got back to Sydney was, did she do it? I didn't answer because that was the whole problem. Everyone in Australia judged this woman before she ever got a trial. And even when she was in jail, she was still being judged. Is there anything a woman can do who finds herself in this situation to change that narrative of the Madonna or the whore? I know that Lindy Chamberlain said it didn't really matter what she did. If she cried, she was told that she was faking it if she showed no emotion. She was the ice queen who obviously was guilty. Is there any kind of behaviour that can change the narrative of a woman that finds themselves in this situation? It's like saying, could she have done something differently to avoid being raped? It's putting the emphasis on the victim. And I see women who are portrayed in the way Lindy Chamberlain was Uh, by the media, they're the victims of the media. So it's more training by the media. I'm a great believer in the power of teachings. And I believe that's the only way that we can change the gendered stereotypes and the persistence of this kind of media framing and all the rest of it is by catching people when they're young and teaching about gender awareness and unconscious gender biases because we all have them and we have to learn to be aware of them and recognize them. So it's not up to the victim, it's up to the person who's writing the story. I think all journalists, all lawyers need to have unconscious gender, racial you name it, bias training, because we just don't realize that we are all living with these unconscious biases that are affecting our lens, our lens of reality. Why do you think 40 years later, after Azaria Chamberlain went missing and, you know, a good Mm. 30-odd years since Lindy Chamberlain was set free, that people still hang on to this idea that she is still guilty. Was the media representation of her back then so strong that people can't let it go? I think so. I do. The way she was framed, evil. So, yes, I think that that doubt was etched into the collective consciousness of Australia, but perhaps even beyond Australia. Media is a powerful instrument, but I do believe that it is 
the source of a lot of misrepresentation. And so it could be the source of enlightenment and more gender neutrality, shall we say. So even now, though, the press for Lindy Chamberlain is almost 100% positive now that she isn't guilty, but it doesn't seem enough to change those people's minds. Yeah, it is a powerful socialiser and it's like being indoctrinated. So if you're indoctrinated into seeing green as blue, you're going to see green as blue, even if you're told laterally that green is green. You're still going to see it as blue because of the power of socialization, which is why I think it's really important to deal with these unconscious biases because they do live on. Despite the years and the obvious failings of the legal and justice systems, even today, people still think Lindy Chamberlain is guilty of her daughter's death. Despite the new leads in the case, people still think Kate McCann had something to do with her daughter going missing. And despite there being absolutely no evidence, people still think Joanne Lees had something to do with her boyfriend's disappearance. An opinion we've formed because a very powerful media can't understand a woman who shows no emotion in the face of fear. That's the quickie for today. For more episodes, you can find us at mamamia.com.au forward slash the quickie. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. Guest booking by Mel Zauer. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.